Let us turn, please, to the book of Romans, chapter 11. Romans, chapter 11. If you have not got one of our model text cards, they're sitting there on the table. Please take one as you leave. The, let the, Bibles, uh, the Trinitarian Bible Society quarterly record is available today. Uh, they're free of charge, and do please collect one as you leave church today. Um, also, today being the first Sunday of the month, uh, you're covenant giving for the work of Christian education and also for missionary work that is received today. Romans chapter 11, and we're going to begin our reading at the verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Amen. We know that God will bless the reading of his word to our hearts. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we come to you. We thank you for your word. We pray that you would write it upon our hearts today. Father, I pray the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. Robert and James Haldane were two Scottish brothers who came from a very wealthy background. James became a captain with the East India Company. Robert was the owner of Glenary and other estates in Perthshire. Both men, however, were converted to Christ and subsequently gave up all of their wealth, all of their prestige, all of their privilege in exchange for Christian service. James became an evangelist and later an influential minister in Edinburgh, a position that he held for 52 years. Robert sold the majority of his significant lands and estates and gave the proceeds for the cause of the gospel in Europe. And it was a vision for Europe that fueled Robert Haldane. In the year 1815, Robert Haldane arrived in the Swiss city of Geneva. And when he arrived there, he had an opportunity to fellowship with some young theology students. But as he talked to these young theology students, he discovered that where the gospel is concerned, they had no idea. They were studying God's Word. They were studying theology. But yet they didn't know God, and they didn't know Christ, and they didn't know the gospel. So he invited them to come to his rooms twice a week, where he led them through the epistle of Paul to the Romans, step by step that he might teach them the gospel of redeeming grace. Every one of these students were converted as a result of these studies, and they in turn went on to become major evangelical leaders in their own right. One of these young students was a man called Merle de Bigny, whose writings on the Reformation are amongst the best history works in this field. Another was Louis Gosson, whose work on the inspiration of the Scriptures is a real classic. A third who was converted was Frederick uh, Monod, and 
it is Frederick Menod who, 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 who wrote the hymn that we have uh, read, uh, the hymn that we have already sung today, On Thee My Heart Is Resting, Ah, This Is Rest, indeed. And, and he founded the, the Free Churches of France. And there were others besides. Now, these men who were converted through the ministry of Robert Haldane, they went on to win many souls themselves. They went on to do a significant work for God themselves. And it was as if Robert Haldane had just touched the lives of one young man after another young man after another young man. He went out to do an even greater work, touching many other lives for the gospel. And it is because of the significance of what Haldane did and achieved in Geneva in the early part of the 19th century that the work has become known as Haldane's Revival. It was such a work that it was recognized as a revival. And today you can purchase or you can download the commentary of Robert Haldane on the Book of Romans. And it's actually one of the finest commentaries in the book of Romans. There are other commentaries that are more profound. There are other commentaries that are perhaps more theological, but his commentary, it, it throbs with life, and you get a sense of his real love and devotion for the Savior as you read his words on the book of Romans. But what was it that revolutionized the thinking of these students? What was it that transformed these young men made them young men who would serve God. What was it that made them see that the religion that they had, it was just dry, formal, lifeless, that all they were going to achieve was to have some sort of career in theology or in the church, but they weren't going to do anything for God? What was it that convinced them that they had to be changed? Well, it was a vision of Romans eleven thirty six. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. They came to Geneva wanting to serve themselves. Their own interests it was all about me, their own desires. But under the influence of the ministry of the Lord's servant, they began to realize if it is not for God, it'll be for nothing and it'll count for nothing. And that's true of our lives. If we don't live our lives for God, everything that we do will count for nothing, and it'll be nothing. It was Moses who prayed to God, show me thy glory. And the Lord passed by, and he gave Moses a vision of himself. And Moses was revolutionized that day on the mount. The glory of God came. And when God spoke, God spoke of his righteousness, but he also spoke of his loving kindness, of his graciousness, of his long-suffering nature. And that was the vision Moses got of God. He saw the Lord, you see. And whenever we come to Romans eleven thirty-six, we see God. Who is God? For of him and through him and to him are all things. Now, this is not the only place in the Scriptures where Paul uses this kind of language to describe God. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and the verse 6, we read, But to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Ephesians 4 verse 6, we read, One God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. 
In Colossians 1.16 we read, For by him are all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And in Hebrews 2.10 we read, For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. And so whenever we come to Romans 11.36, we're coming right into the, the very heart and core of New Testament theology. Here we discover who God is, what He does, why He does what He does. Of all of these passages, perhaps this is the most succinct, the one that condenses all of this theology down into a very few words. And what words they are. For every word counts. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. I think this is an appropriate model text for every day of our existence. Not just for year 2023, but for every day of our existence. However long we live, that we should learn that everything is for God or it counts for nothing. And so let us simply look at this model and consider the glory of God. Two very simple thoughts here. The doctrine of God's glory, the devotion to God's glory. So let's look at the doctrine of God's glory, first of all. We have been called to glorify God. That is our duty, that is our responsibility, to glorify God. What does it mean to glorify God? One day we will be glorified ourselves. Those of us who are saved, whenever Christ comes, these vile bodies, however long they have lain in the dust, will be raised again, and they will become glorious bodies. But in order to become glorious bodies, the glory must be added, or we must be changed from the, the, the mortal to the immortal. So something happens. But whenever we glorify God, we, we don't add anything to God. We don't add anything to His glory. You can't add anything to God. God cannot be increased. He cannot be enhanced. He cannot be made more wonderful. He cannot be made more precious. He cannot be made more loving or more kind. God is perfect in every way. So we cannot add anything to God's glory. We talk about magnifying God. Whenever we magnifying God, we don't make Him bigger than He is. But you know what we do? We do what those astronomers do with the great telescopes. They peer out into space and they see how big those stars are. They see how remarkable those constellations and those galaxies are. Because the magnifier brings it all closer. That is exactly what we do when we glorify God. We begin to realize how remarkable He is, how wonderful He is, how marvelous He is. And that's why the first part of Romans 11.36 is so important. For of him and through him and to him are all things. Paul is magnifying God. Bringing him closer. Making him real. Lifting him up. This is God. This is who he is. For of him and through him and to him are all things. Here we see the glory of God in creation. All things are of him. God was perfectly happy throughout the ages of eternity before there was a heaven and before there was a 
world and before there was an angel, he was perfectly happy as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He didn't need a world. He didn't need creation, and he didn't need the multitudes of angels. But he chose to create all of these things in order that he might show forth his glory to the world and to the universe and to these puny creatures that he had created, mankind. All things come of God. There is nothing that has not been produced by God. We see his fingerprints everywhere. He is the God of creation. Of him, through him, to him are all things. He made it by his own genius. He made it by his own power. He didn't manufacture something with materials that already existed. He made all the materials. It all came from him. All of the gases, all of the chemicals, all of the basic compounds of the universe, they all came from him. He fashioned it all. And it was all for him, for his glory, for his honor. The glory of God in creation, but we also see the glory of God in administration. Because God is not an absentee landlord who fashions the heavens and the earth and then goes away and abandons the whole thing to its own devices. No, he is at work at all times. So all things come of God. Every event that takes place in the world is a product of God. It's either a product of His sovereign will or of His permissive will. There are things that God does, that He accomplishes. Other things He permits, and yet it all forms part of His everlasting purposes. And that is a thing that is incredibly hard to stomach. It's almost impossible for us to work out because we think of the disasters in the world. We think of the tragedies in the world. We think of the things that we would rather not happen. You think of the things that cause us tears and heartbreak. And how is it that God's in control when all of these things happen? How is it that there is such profound suffering in the world? How is it that there is such terrible hurt in the world? Where is God in the midst of all of that? And you see, we are in no position to judge God. That's the bottom line. We cannot judge God. We cannot begin judging God because we are looking at God from the standpoint of the finite creature. And we'll never understand the purposes of God from the standpoint of the finite creature because He is infinite. We have to learn. And no matter how much we learn, we discover how little we know because we're all foolish in our hearts. But yet we come to God here in Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. God's ways are mysterious. They're deep. His knowledge is unsearchable, cannot be understood by us. Who hath known the mind of the Lord? Who hath been His counselor? Who has been God's counselor? Who has been there to teach God? Who has been there to instruct God? Who instructed God how to make this marvelous universe? Who instructed God how to make this human body? And we know that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are made. That's the point. Nobody taught him. Nobody instructed him. All of the knowledge came from him. All of the little knowledge that man has has ultimately come from God himself. And man is a depraved creature, but yet he is a remarkable creature. For man to be able to send men into space is an amazing thing to do, and yet the knowledge to do all of that comes from God for man to be able to take a scalpel and peel open the skin and operate upon the organs of the human body. It's an amazing thing. And the knowledge for all of that has come from God. You see, all things come of God. And 
We cannot understand all of that. We cannot begin to work out why God does what he does, when he does, as he does it. Because we are not God, and of course we'll not understand that, but we are simply called to trust because he makes no mistakes. If we can't trust, we flounder. All things are to God. Ultimately, his purpose will be fulfilled in this world, and his purpose will never fail. We see the glory of God not only in creation and administration, but we see the glory of God in salvation here. And within the immediate context of this great text, Paul is talking about salvation. And he's actually talking about the salvation of the Jewish people. He's talking about the fact that Israel will be converted. All Israel will be saved, verse 26. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. And Paul had this tremendous burden for the Jewish people that they might be saved. In chapter 11, verse 1, he said, If God cast away his people, God forbid. He was writing as an Israelite. He was writing as one of the seed of Abraham, one who was of the tribe of Benjamin, and he had this real burden for his kinsmen according to the flesh that they might be saved. And yet he had this promise that one day all Israel would be saved. And he was admiring this, God's work of salvation, how God saves saving the Gentiles, saving the Jew, bringing men and women to himself. He was admiring God's work of salvation. And yet we ask the question, why are people saved? How is it that people come to knowledge of Christ? How is it that you are saved? It has nothing to do with us. Nothing to do with us. We are not saved by our own decisions. We are not saved by anything we have done. We are not saved by any goodness that is found in us, for there is none. We are saved by God. For of him and through him and to him are all things. Salvation is holy and completely and absolutely the product of God himself. In the book of Romans chapter 8 and the verse 30, we read, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Predestinated, called, justified, glorified. All of this is what God does. Salvation is what God does. It was God sent the Son. Salvation is of God and through God. God sent the Son into the world. We only understand the purposes of God as we look at the cross and as we see Jesus Christ nailed there to that center tree, suffering for us, shedding his precious blood for us, dying for us. And all things are to God. We are saved for the honor of God. If we don't appreciate today as Christians that we have been chosen to bring glory to God. We've missed the whole object of life. That's why we've been saved. It's for God's glory. We have the glory of God in the care of his people. So God saves us, but then he cares for us. And we think of God's guidance in our own lives. Whatever has happened to you over this past year, whatever will happen to you or to me this year, God will have led us all the way. As for God, His way is perfect. He is in control. He is an eye always for our good. He works all things out together for good to them that love Him, to them who are the called according to His purpose. How He can do that is a mystery, but yet He does that. Because 
The Father always knows best. And so we have the doctrine of God's glory here. But let's move on and think about the devotion to God's glory. On account of this, on account of the fact that all things are of God, through God, to God. We need to bring glory to him. To him be glory forever. Amen. Now, this is entirely and completely the opposite of the worldly man's view of life. The worldly man's view of life is, is for me, it's for myself. It's that I might be made happy. It's that I might be gratified. It's that I might have pleasure. It's that I might be made rich. I might have what I have, want what I want. That's the worldly man's view of life. But for the Christian, we are here to glorify God. That's why we're here. No other reason to glorify God. And that's why I say, if we don't get this message and get it into our hearts, into our souls, we're just wasting our lives, wasting our time. Time is such a precious thing. It's such a precious thing. As we come to the start of a year, we are reminded of time. How quickly time has gone. How quickly since last year. How quickly. Time's fleeting by for us all. Job saw this, you know. Of course he did. When you think of everything that Job had been through, Job 16, 22, when a few days are come, then I shall go the way whence I shall not return. When a few years are come, then I shall go the way whence I shall not return. It won't be long. We'll go the way whence we'll not return. We'll go that way. For some, this year will be the year of death. For some, this year will be the year when that final journey will be taken to the grave in a coffin. And if it is not this year, it'll be some year. Some year we'll cross a New Year's Day, and that'll be the year of death. That's the way life goes. We're all going down the valley, one by one. And yet, the time that we have, the time for today, the time for now, is such a, a precious time. Because this time is a gift from God. This time, this day, this moment is of God. It's through God. It's to God. The fact that we are alive, hearts beating, minds thinking, lungs breathing at this time. This is what God has given to us. For us, no. For Him, for His glory, for His praise, for His honor. And we need to use this time. James says our lives are just like a vapor. Just here for a little time. Then they're gone. Brevity of life. The fragility of life. The poet said, only one life will soon be passed. And it's only what's done for Christ that will last. Jonathan Edwards resolved as a young man, the great American preacher, theologian who saw revival. He resolved as a young man never to lose one moment of time. Never to let one moment of time escape. For it was given for the glory and honor of God. This applies to every part of our lives. 
It applies to all of our relationships, to all of our friendships. It applies to our roles as fathers, as mothers. It applies to the role of a child and your relationship to your parent. It applies to our home lives. It applies to our working lives. It applies to every part of our lives. And let's learn this lesson that if we aren't living for the glory of God, we are wasting our lives. And how much time have we wasted already? How much time could we have given to the Lord and we haven't? How much have we held back from giving to Him? How much have we clenched for ourselves and we haven't been wholly surrendered to Him? Always remember when we read the Scriptures that the chapters and verses were not put in there to begin with. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. If our lives are for God's glory, then we need to present ourselves as sacrifices for him. Are you willing to make that presentation to God? Take my life, let it be consecrated, Lord, today. Lord, I'm holding nothing back. It's no longer about me, Lord. It's about you. It's about your honor. It's about your glory. For to me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you today. We mourn over our sinfulness. We mourn over our wickedness. We mourn over our slothfulness. We mourn over the things we've held back from you. Take these lives of ours. Make them count for you this year. Take the work of this church. Make it count for you this year. Help us to make progress for you, O God you might have the glory. For Christ's sake. Amen. Let us sing the words of this closing hymn. To God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave as his son, who yielded his life in atonement for sin, and opened the life gate that all may go in.
from this place with thy blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit our Comforter be your abiding portion now and evermore. Amen.